Today is Wednesday, August 30th, 2023. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. Hurricane Adalia bears down on Florida's Gulf Coast. We'll have that top story and more on today's podcast, where we bring you news from a Christian perspective. Subscribe and leave a rating. Email us, quickstartpodcast at cbn.org. Joining me today on this hump day, Tragon Phillips and Billy Hallowell as... America was gripped by your travel journey, Billy, if you were going to make it back this week or not, but we're glad you're here. I'm here. I'm, yes, <laughs> I'm ha- I am happy to be back. I um, I thought you were going to tell America to brace for impact because Billy <laughs> Hallowell is back. Yeah. Well, that too. Hurricane <laughs> Billy is here. Hurricane yes. Billy is here, yeah. Trey, what do you have coming up on The Focus? Yeah, so we are actually going to be talking about Mike Rowe. Uh, he has landed himself in hot water with um, some of his followers on social media for defending Megyn Kelly over an issue. Oh, how dare he? I Mike, is, he's, he's just so good at communicating, and he's got so much common sense. Yeah. He doesn't seem like a guy you'd want to get in a back and forth with. You'll probably well, lose. He won the argument. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's, just, this, that's he always, though? He does. Yeah. No surprise he won, but I, I'm, it's always the details that are fun with Mike. So we'll we'll look forward to that coming up on the focus story. On the main thing, we talked to CBN's Chuck Holton, who just got back from Ukraine. There was a lot of talk about Ukraine. Should we fund it? Should we not? During the debates, Chuck Holton has his thoughts on that and what he saw coming up on the main thing. But first, we're going to get through the news here in 90 seconds. Florida is bracing for the first mer- major hurricane of the season. As Hurricane Adalia gains strength while heading towards the Gulf Coast, about 50 counties along Florida's west coast have declared a state of emergency, and Governor Ron DeSantis has taken a break from the campaign trail to be with Florida residents preparing for what is expected to be a major storm. Governor DeSantis said that they should prepare for at least a Category 3 hurricane or more. Adalia already wreaked havoc throughout Cuba as a tropical storm earlier this week with high winds, a lot of rain and flooding. That's usually the issue on the Gulf Coast of Florida is the storm surge and the flooding in addition to any wind damage. And a 12-year-old elementary student in Colorado at a charter school there was tossed from class reportedly because he had a Gadsden flag patch on his backpack. Vanguard's charter school in Colorado Springs, they, they, and an official told the boy and his mother in a recorded video that the patch was disruptive to the class environment and the flag has, quote, origins with slavery, end quote. The actual history of the Gadsden flag is that it was made during the Revolutionary War, inspired in part by Benjamin Franklin's previously popular join-or-die image, and it was representative as unity among the states during the Revolutionary War. Those are just some of today's top headlines. Check out more stories over at CBNnews.com. Guys, I was fascinated by this video, which again, you know, we're going by these early reports here of where it is and all that, saying it's at this school in Colorado. They did get a quote from the school. They they're standing by this. They're not backing down. They cited the US EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. And a 2016 Washington Post article talking about how it's got ties to other white supremacy groups and the Confederate flag, which is, it's such a crazy claim. 
you know, I don't even know what you do with this at this point, but it was good to see this kid kind of hold it together and the mom stand up for this because these are the sorts of things that are being challenged, like basic history about something as simple as the don't tread on me flag. And they're trying to gaslight it, it sounds like. Well, yeah, you know, I, I guess for me, the thing that comes to mind, and I don't know the full history on all of this, but when we redefine something we don't like, I mean, this is what culture is doing right now. Culture is coming in and redefining all sorts of things that it suddenly doesn't like that it had no problem with before. And you wonder, you know, is the cross going to be looked at eventually as something that is so offensive it can't be anywhere? We, we see that happening in some places already. And that redefinition of things makes me very uncomfortable, particularly when it's used to demean somebody, to, sh to shut them down or to prevent free speech or expression. Well, I yeah, I don't think we're far off at all necessarily from the Christian flag um, being kind of tied to white supremacy or certainly Christian nationalism. I think if you, a certain radical or fringe group could certainly make that claim. Uh, and then it, unfortunately what happens is it becomes mainstream because the media, I think, jumps on anybody that's going to be critical of Christianity or is going to be critical of conservatism. Um, so I think that's what's happened with the, the Gadsden flag thing, right, is that it's uh, it's – that ultimately, I think, is the crux of the issue is that it's not even a conversation. It's one person or one group says something about the Gadsden flag. And then rather than actually digging into the history, it just becomes, uh, well, that's it's terrible and we got to ban it right now. Uh, and, and that, I think, is what's really unfortunate, a, a, a difficult place to be culturally. Yeah, it really is. And the, the way they tie it to today is quite something else. It's... Um, they, they they make some big leaps and it's it tries to say that well yeah originally the history was not racist but now it's tied to these racist groups that's why they had to use a 2016 Washington Post article trying to make this case and even if you look in places like Encyclopedia Britannica and you know you look up facts on something like this they add on at the end after having the initial history correct and it says here, I'm going to read this word for word from the Encyclopedia Britannica. This is people looking up information on this flag. They're talking about the recent history use of the flag, the Gadsden flag. But after the conservative Tea Party movement emerged in 2009, the flag became increasingly associated with the movement's right-wing populism. With Tea Party rallies taking place during the presidency of Barack Obama, the first black president of the United States, Rhetoric at some rallies occasionally took on racial undertones. By association, the Gadsden flag was thereby tainted with racism in the eyes of some observers. To me, that is incredible that that can be put into an encyclopedia. Where's the evidence there that this is now associated with racism? You just say, well, the president was black at that time. Some people protested him and... It was probably racist, so therefore it's racist. I mean, it's such a ridiculous conclusion, but this is the kind of silliness we're dealing with these days, and then you have to defend it. Yeah, well, I mean, this is, and it goes back to what I was saying before, the fear of what what is the next thing, but I, it also reminds me, you know, all the, all the complaining, and rightfully so, that many people in Christian circles and conservative circles have done for years saying, all of these things, you know, all these places, the media, Hollywood universities, they're all stacked against us. They're all super secular. You know, when you have a situation where somebody defines something or redefines it and then everybody 
around you is saying the same thing and echoing yeah. it and it's making its way into encyclopedias. This is why the danger of, of bias, it's such a problem and why they, the excuse of, well, you know, conservatives have Fox News or they have this outlet. That is not enough to compensate for a streamlining of a narrative or an idea across yeah. every other platform. Yep. Well, and also it's that's that's again a piece of a, a big piece of the puzzle is just kind of ostracizing and otherizing the conservatives. So it's like if you bring up any complaint about media bias, you say, well, the conservatives have their own, they have their own network. Like they're the only ones that are off off the beaten right. path. They're the only ones that are crazy. Us liberal people and middle of the road people, like we're the normal ones. So just let them have their world and, you know, whatever. They, they can be content over there. When the problem is actually that the media writ large is biased. Uh, and it, why wouldn't you want to be more middle of the road and more objective in your reporting as a journalist? That should be the question we're asking. If you're a reporter, wouldn't you want to be honest? But it doesn't seem like that's necessarily the priority in 2023. Nope. Doesn't seem like it at all, but it's what we're dealing with. So we will do our best to operate around it and uh, report the news to you and try to point it out when we see it, these biases. But you should always be on the lookout for it. It's it's a good, healthy practice to get in when you're sifting through the news. All right, we're going to head over to the focus story. Why is Mike Rowe coming to Megyn Kelly's defense? This is interesting, uh, bedfellows here. So what uh, what happened? Yeah, so Mike Rowe, uh, actually, th this was a video that Megan Kelly posted a little bit ago. As she was a segment on her podcast. Uh, she was talking about the transgender issue, uh, and she was saying, you know, really just kind of challenging Apple. It's like, okay, if you want to take my podcast off of the Apple platform, Apple podcasting platform, because I'm, quote, a woman speaking up for girls and fellow women, uh, then, you know, do what you're going to do. I'm not going to stop defending women, meaning biological, actual born females. I'm not going to stop defending them and saying that their spaces in athletic settings uh, specifically is what she was talking about, but generally should be protected. But if that's something that's going to land me in hot water, uh, then so be it. I'm still going to, you know, say what I'm going to say and I'll say it wherever I need to say it, whether that's on Apple or not. Uh, Micro came to her defense uh, and said, essentially, you know, I'm going to defend her right to say that I happen to agree with her. I think she's correct. Uh, but really, even if she wasn't correct, even if I didn't agree with her, uh, she has every right to voice her opinion uh, because Megan Kelly was taking flack for having said that. And he said, look, I don't care what she's saying. One, she's got a First Amendment right to speak it. And two, I happen to agree with her. Uh, so I'm going to I'm going to stick up for her. So that's that's essentially the, the groundwork here. And why is he being criticized for not only only just agreeing with the point, but secondarily saying the larger point here is that she should just be allowed to say what she wants to say and defend her for that without being canceled on a platform. Why is he getting criticized for that? So he actually just yesterday published a, a whole long Facebook post about this. And, and he said the vast majority of his followers uh, sided with him, agreed with him, didn't have any issue, of course, with him coming uh, to Megyn Kelly's defense. But there were a handful of people who were uh, pretty critical of him. Uh, there was one woman in particular who, because he's a man, Micro is a man, said uh, that, quote, he needs to stay in your lane and not talk about women's rights and women's issues uh, and said that uh, he's actually just, quote, desperate uh, as he's grabbing for popularity uh, as if he's not already a, a very right. successful yeah. 
he he has his podcast that's wildly successful. He's of course became famous as the host of Dirty Jobs, uh, and is is obviously a really prolific writer and a really you know successful writer. Uh, but setting that aside, this person decided that he was just grasping at straws, trying to uh, latch on to the coattails of Megan Kelly. Um, but then this woman, her name is Jessica. Uh, she also described Megan Kelly as quote, a brainwashed phobic fear driven fear mongering blowhard, uh, and said that, you know, she micro shouldn't be defending her because she's not saying anything worth defending. Goodness gracious. So how's he responding to these critics? I think that's what's most interesting. He he wrote a lengthy post and he said, the question is, he's addressing this to Jessica, who's uh, comments he also shared. He said, the question is, do you care at all about these underlying issues? If not, that's okay. But if you're going to share your feelings with 6 million people, why not take a moment to include some actual thoughts, uh, specifically some thoughts on the rights uh, to speak freely and the right for women to compete fairly? He said, those are the issues in question, not your feelings about Megan or me, unless of course your feelings are the only thing that you have to share. Uh, and then he, he went on to, to address the comments specifically about Megyn Kelly. He said, I don't share your view that Megyn Kelly is a farce, uh, but even if I did, I'd support her right to speak freely uh, and her daughter's right to use a locker room free of biological males. But I actually think the best part of his argument uh, was when he said, why as a man should I not be allowed to speak out on women's issues? He said, what if we applied that to any number of moral issues? And he actually even talked about slavery. He said, I obviously have never been a slave. Uh, and if I've never owned or, or you know, purchased any, tried to purchase anybody or, or participated in slavery in a form, he said, but I still clearly have an opinion on slavery as a moral evil and a, a really dark part of our history as a country. But according to, to that woman's logic, he said, I shouldn't be allowed to speak on the issue of slavery because I have no firsthand experience with it. Uh, he said that just is not a logical argument and falls apart. Yeah, this is this is really an unfair fight. I mean, this Mike Rowe is a very smart man, a very smart individual, I would say. If you looked at the IQ rankings and we all had the actual IQs of everybody in America, he'd be right up there near the top. I don't know about this person who is writing in at him, but uh, guessing that they're not. So you're seeing the result <laughs> of that. And this is him just tearing apart these arguments that are just, which I like seeing that. And, you know, this is why I think Mike Rose arguments resonate with so many people. I think a lot of times on both sides of the aisle, not just conservatives because he pauses and he and he doesn't just jump into the fray and start yelling back and forth but he actually says wait a minute let's take a look at what you're actually saying here and let's let's marinate on that for a minute and let's think about it let's think through it that's something missing in culture today a lot thinking through things we're just reaction emo press the button be angry and not think about it well, and I think, too, there's a lack of civility in our culture, right? So not yeah. only is Micro going to engage intellectually and thoughtfully in an argument, uh, but he's going to do it respectfully, which I think is something we so desperately need. I just want to give one more quote that he gave. Sure. Uh, he said, you advise me to stay in my lane in much <laughs> the same way people used to tell women and minorities to know their place. Uh, he said, that strikes me as a convenient way for people to silence those with whom they disagree without offering an actual argument. So 
Yeah, I think he won that debate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, think about it from a, her, from as a woman telling a man to be quiet. What if, what if men used that logic, you know, fifty years ago, sixty years ago, when a woman spoke up and said, "Hey, what if? How about we go run things, or we get in the company, we get a job?" And he said, "Listen, back down, woman. What do you know about being a man in the workplace? You don't know anything about it." I mean, that's essentially yeah. the same logic. So it's clearly flawed. Yeah, it's like the abortion argument, everything else. Like men shouldn't talk. They shouldn't say anything. You know, I, I first of all, I think Mike Rowe is brilliant and at the top of the list. But I actually don't think you need to be that smart to <laughs> no, argue this. That's a good point. Because the, rea the reality is we've overcomplicated this so much. Like this is common sense. You should be able to have an opinion yeah. and a perspective. Totally. And, you know, but yes, he is, he is brilliant. I yeah. always love, I always love his takedowns because they're so peaceful and common and, <laughs> they and they're kind takedowns. They are, they are, they are. And it would be nice if everyone interacted that way and just use a little wit, charm and humor to, to kind of diffuse the situation. So, well, I think the, um, the takeaway here before we go, we've had micro on before, but, um, if you're listening, come on, join us, join us again. <laughs> yeah. I think that's, <laughs> we would, we would be happy to have you on again. Stop on by, stop on by. All right, Trey, appreciate you bringing that one uh, today on the podcast. All right, we're going to head over to the main thing now. And Chuck Holton, CBN's war correspondent, he's he's everywhere all the time. He's on the border and the Darien Gap. He's in Ukraine. He's pretty much anywhere something's going on. He'll be there reporting on it for CBN. And he has just come back from Ukraine and also from Europe, where he reported on the migrant crisis there. But we're talking today about what's going on in Ukraine. We just had, obviously, Putin lashing out at one of the Wagner Group um, leaders of the uprising, the failed uprising. So what's happening now? What about all that talk at the debate about not funding Ukraine? What does that mean? What should we do? Chuck Holton talks about what he saw firsthand on the ground in his most recent trip to Ukraine. That's today's main thing. All right, so Chuck... We have this plane crash, this death of Prigozhin, and it wasn't really, I think, a surprise to a lot of people. I mean, still shocking to see a plane blown out of the sky, but I think at this point, people are not surprised uh, when this happens to someone who opposes Putin. So what's the fallout been here? What can we expect to see going forward in both Ukraine and Russia in the wake of this? I don't know that it has a huge impact on the war in Ukraine in the short term. In the long term, it, uh, it takes the, these Wagner fighters, many of them, off the battlefield, and they were really the only ones who were motivated and uh, trained, well-trained, uh, that, were, that were fighting. So it has given the Ukrainians a break in that sense, and we have seen, uh, since I was there, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, we, we've seen the Ukrainians really start to gain some momentum on the battlefield and start to break through Russian lines, especially down in the south near Orihiv, uh, where I went down with uh, Operation Blessing and spent the night when I was there, let's see, back in October, November timeframe. Uh, so that that part of the front lines has been broken now. And if the Ukrainians can capitalize on that and actually stabilize that line, that really makes it difficult for them to resupply any any place south of uh, whatever uh, area that they can reach with their HIMARS missiles and that sort of thing. All right. So you were just there. And I'd like to dive in and talk a little bit about what you're seeing there. I mean, I know you just gave a little bit of an assessment there, but it is a year and a half now that this has been going on. And it's starting to have that feel of like, 
a never-ending war. And, you know, you're talking about them potentially being able to break through here. Is there an end in sight in this thing at all possible? Or is it just a matter of Putin's just going to keep doing, just keep throwing stuff at the wall and keep applying pressure until he either gets what he wants or just is completely obliterated and has nothing left? What's what's going on here? What's going to happen? You know, as usual, uh, this thing will likely be decided not on the battlefield, but in the halls of power. Yeah. And un unfortunately, uh, both Russia and the United States uh, kind of have this idea that we should just stop, uh, stop helping and stop funding the Ukrainians and thereby snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. Uh, we could give Ukraine what they need to win this war. In the long run, Russia is waiting to see the results of the election, and they're pouring the majority of their efforts, actually, not into kinetic operations on the battlefield, but into information operations in the United States. They're working very, very hard to convince uh, Republicans, especially, that they need to pull out of Ukraine, that they need to stop funding Ukraine, because that is the only way that Russia really has a chance of winning this thing. Uh, the the Ukrainians, I, I talked to the president's advisor while I was over there last week, and he made it very clear that if the United States were to pull its uh, forces, that Ukraine's not going to stop fighting, that they would go to a general mobilization, a full mobilization of their people. See, right now, they're not fully mobilized. They have about 750,000 troops under arms, which is very, very good. And it's uh, about three times what Russia is, has got on the field right now. But uh, they, if they had to, they could mobilize up to 5 million men, and that's not including women. Uh, and they would mobilize everybody that they could put, they could get to go out to the front lines and, and start fighting this thing, uh, because they are not going to give up their country anyway, anyhow. Uh, I think that if the United States were to pull out, that the West, the rest of Western Europe might step up their efforts to fill that gap, although it's a pretty big gap. And really, uh, it would not take more than about 10 or 12 percent of our uh, one-year annual uh, Pentagon budget to give Ukraine what they need to actually win this war. Yeah, and you know, you're talking about the election, of course, we just had that debate last week. And it's it's interesting to see this fracture within the GOP, Chuck, how you have, it started out as let's support Ukraine. And then as time has waned on, you've, you've had some prominent voices sort of questioning that and saying, hey, why are we sending funding over there and presenting this, uh, what a lot of people are saying is a false dilemma, that essentially that we can't fund them and support our own border here at home, um, which, you know. No, but we can absolutely do those two things. And in reality, if we're giving our military, our this is what people I think don't quite understand. They don't understand the small scale of what we're actually doing in Ukraine. When you compare it to the Pentagon's annual budget, which is nearly a trillion dollars this year, one trillion dollars, we could give a hundred billion dollars to Ukraine and it wouldn't hardly make a dent in the U.S. military budget. Um, and and so we're, we've only actually given about 70 billion to them so far. We've pledged more than that. And most of that money however, doesn't actually leave the United States. That money goes to pay American companies that are producing the weapons, that are producing the ammunition to send to Ukraine. So it's helping to, to create U.S. jobs. 
and and so it yeah it's us taxpayer money that's eventually going for the benefit of ukraine but the vast majority of it doesn't leave the united states we get this false dichotomy about uh, the corruption in ukraine and i just want to say have you noticed american politics lately if you want to talk about corruption let's talk about the united states corruption and uh, let's not try to to you know voice that corruption or that idea of corruption on ukraine while i was there President Zelensky fired all of the regional heads of the recruiting command trying to recruit soldiers for the for the conflict because there were guys that were paying money, paying bribes to be able to get out of military service. They found out, they fired everybody, and they started over from scratch. That's called addressing corruption. That's called doing something about it. I would love to see some somebody in the American government do something that drastic about the corruption that we all know is prevalent inside the United States government. And so, uh, again, the Russians are pushing very hard to try to convince the American public that it's not worth it to send this money. I would say that it is. With the little amount of money that we've sent, $70 billion, um, we could, look, that $70 billion has diminished the Russians combat capabilities by about 50%. It's crazy to think that people are so convinced that $70 billion is not worth spending when we're talking about a the moral component of doing what's right, standing for people that are being persecuted, and and b living up to our commitments. This is a question that I ask people all the time when they come to, come at me with this argument that we shouldn't be giving money to the to the Ukrainians. I say, well, so are you saying that America should not live up to its previous commitments? To, we should not live up to the treaties that we have made with our allies? Because that's what you're saying. If we are to back off and let Russia take over Ukraine and then come, come for NATO, that we would be sending a very clear message to all of our allies and our adversaries that America cannot be trusted. And if you want the whole world to think America cannot be trusted, and you want Russia and China to set the rules of order in the the new realm of the global politics, then yeah, pull out of Ukraine and see what happens. I guarantee you that's not gonna be better for America. And whether or not we could spend uh, enough money to secure the border, it would take, President Trump wanted $5 billion the wall on the, on the border. $5 billion is a drop in the bucket. We don't need $70 billion to secure the border. We just need the will to secure the southern border. We just need to, to uh, take the handcuffs off of our border patrol, and they could do it. They could secure the southern border. So it's a false dichotomy for sure. And it's a, it, it is, I, I think it, people would be appalled if they came to understand just how much many conservatives have been affected and influenced by Russian propaganda operations operating in the United States. Yeah, really interesting, and it and it does seem like if you just take that stance and well, let's pull out, and Russia's not our problem. Well, eventually they will be your problem one way or another because uh, they have That's a desire right. to um, expand their power and expand their reach, and they will do that if they sense that we are out of the way. So uh, and that we're just hands off, and so you know you're going to have right. to deal. Do with Do you that want problem. America to be a force for global po good in politics, or or not? If you don't want America to be a force for good in global politics, then yeah, pull out, be an isolationist, pull out of the uh, of the entire global order and just see what happens. See how the world collapses into chaos. And again, you look at what Vladimir Putin just did to one of his adversaries. He blew him out of the sky with an anti-aircraft missile. 
and everybody knows it. Everybody knows it and he doesn't care. Okay, if somebody like that, you want somebody like that setting the rules in global geopolitics, maybe it's worth $70 billion to keep that from happening. All right, and you can check out my full conversation with Chuck Holton in the description of this podcast episode. All right, that's going to leave us with time for one last thing today. Yeah, I love this one. It's Psalm 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. We keep our focus on God, and he brings us where he wants us to go. It's it's a good reminder. Yeah, gets us all in alignment for sure. Yeah, and I think it's we often want to drop off the first part of the verse, <laughs> yeah. right? So seek after the Lord, and then we right. just think, oh, just give me the desires of your <laughs> right. heart like he's a genie. But yeah, obedience to the Lord is the critical first step there. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Good spot to leave it on the podcast today. As always, get yourself on over to cbnnews.com and faithwire.com for more news from a Christian perspective. And don't forget, if you haven't done it yet, I don't know what you're waiting for. Give us a rating over there on the whatever podcast platform you listen to. We'd love to see that. And you can always email us, quickstartpodcast at cbn.org. God bless, Lord willing, in that creek don't rise. We will return tomorrow. <laughs>